Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Lola. Don't forget, in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everyone. Just to make you aware, in this episode, we will touch on themes of mental health, and there will be references to eating disorders. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Label Podcast with me, Alice, and my lovely co-host, Lucy. Hiya. You all right? Yes, I'm good, thank you. I thought you weren't going to say anything, and it was just. No, I was be... just waiting for you to say my name, <laughs> so I could then go, "Hello, <laughs> are you all right? How uh, are you?" Yes, I'm good, thank you. Thanks. I am uh, a little bit warm. My office is quite small, and it gets a bit sweaty in here quite quickly. So, um, I'll, I'm all right at the moment. I will be less all right by the time we finish recording. Uh, what about you and your beautifully air-conditioned well, space? I've not put the aircon on. What we need to do is I need to talk to you over the internet like we normally do with my aircon on so you can tell whether you can hear my aircon because I don't put yeah. it on in case you can hear in the background. So um, yeah, You'll I'm, need I'm to waiting. do it and set it to like four degrees so it's <laughs> freezing in there and yeah. then turn it off so it can get gradually warm <laughs> well i'm sorry alice we're gonna have to call this episode short because i'm i'm sweating again <laughs> <laughs> um so today we are this is our first guest episode back since our little break um I, I don't know about you, Lucy, but I certainly feel like I've got no idea what I'm doing and I cannot no, tell my else from my elbows. Who are you today. again? What's your name? <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> yep. So, um, so good luck, listeners and guests. Yeah. Um, our guest today is Georgia. Georgia, would you like to introduce yourself and tell our guests a little bit about who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm Georgia. Uh, my pronouns are they, she. Um, and I am a, a bit of a mixed bag of things. I have sort of recently started a startup. So I'm sort of a startup leader that does sort of disability wellbeing things. But I'm also a performer and artist. And I sort of create art and music and pole dance around um, lots of intersectional things like disability, but also my experience as a, a black person, my experience as a, a queer person. So yeah, I'm a hodgepodge of, I guess, businessy things and artsy things. Oh, it sounds- Hodgepodge uh, is like... always interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a lot on as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's possibly too, too much on sometimes. Yes, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so Georgia uh, is one of the wonderful people who originally approached us um, when we were doing our our call out for guests for our technology episodes uh, uh, series, which is, is coming out very soon. Um, but we have been so lucky and oversubscribed for guests that we said, hey, Georgia, why don't you just come on and talk to us? Because you sound interesting. Mm. Uh, so 
Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your startup, Georgia? Because I know you said that that's quite recent. Yeah, it, it is quite recent. Um, it kind of it basically grew from the artsy Instagram, uh, where I kept sort of creating content along the lines of like, this is how I manage this aspect of life with all of my uh, myriad chronic health conditions. Um, and then I guess the, the response told me that <laughs> there are lots of people who um, struggle with I guess the mental health impact of having many, many chronic health conditions. And I, I wanted to do something and I was, I guess, working in education tech at the time. And I was like, how can I marry these two things? Um, so essentially it's, we basically just like a couple of months ago launched our first like little mini course on um, building emotional resilience against um, symptom flare ups. So like be that pain or chronic fatigue, just like, how do you um, deal with, the emotional impact of having your day turned upside down or or your week or or your month um uh, so yeah that's what we do um and yeah so the the first course is out but it's really teeny tiny so we're we're very much just at the beginning but it's exciting um for the first time in my life i'm not bored of my job which is very strange that's great isn't it <laughs> so it's always a winner when you're not bored in 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 your work or your job so uh, that's great stuff and it sounds to, to me um sounds so interesting because i have cerebral palsy so i use a wheelchair so i wouldn't necessarily say that the condition i've got is chronic illness or chronic you know symptoms but i do suffer with a lot of pain flares sometimes that will come out of nowhere and um i often struggle sometimes to stay positive when i have been in pain for like a week two weeks you're all, you're like it's okay like at the beginning of a pain flare you're like this is okay i can kind of cope with this but like sort of like as the weeks go on and you get you know the longer you're in pain you think is this it now <laughs> is this is this what my life is going to be and more often than not they ease after a while but that period of time where you think to yourself this is hurting and I can't remember the last time I woke up and I wasn't in pain um can get a bit demoralizing because you're like I want to try and like be as active and in society as I possibly can be and I my body is just physically going no I'm not doing that today um so yeah I, I get you know when you were saying about how to cope with the emotional resilience i kind of completely understand that and i think having that tool especially if you're like newly diagnosed uh you know with chronic illnesses and disability in general is something that is really going to help people to understand coping mechanisms of how to sort of like deal with it yeah and it's you're right it's, it's really hard especially when it's dragging out and it's like you stop remembering that every other time that's happened there has been an end because it just doesn't feel like it um yeah. it can be it can be really like a, a minefield um i know some yeah. people in particular they like as soon as they start getting a bit of pain for a flare they start feeling like really intense dread and even if the pain, mm -hmm. pain is not so bad and it could be managed it's like the dread and the, the sort of fear of what's going to happen that makes everything 10 times worse um, yeah i yeah. i often get the feeling of like oh is this pain like a, a pain that's just come for a holiday or is it staying permanently that's the fear i get of or is, is this is you know is it is this what it is now um yeah. it um it reminds me of a conversation so my my mum's uh best friend has got me and um has 
for her whole life had to be very kind of careful and conscious and manage her activity levels and you know to to maintain energy and not experience too much pain and fatigue um and um and I I can remember having a conversation with my mum about um her not really understanding um her her best friend's kind of experiences and 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 choice to say actually I'm not going to do certain things and even though she she's enjoyed enjoys them and perhaps you know choosing perhaps because of of the choices she's made over years and years and years has sort of limited her life sort of a little not limited her life but I know what you mean it's made her now less kind of inclined to go out and do things and try sort of different things she can't be spontaneous she feels like she can't be spontaneous because well and I think she you know she's lived with this condition for 40 something years and so Mm -hmm. I think she's also sort of decided it's not that's not worth the risk like I could go go out to a you know to the my mum and her are always big into gardens and gardening so like you know I could go out to Kew Gardens but just getting there would be like I'd be so anxious and worrying about how tired I'd be and stuff mm. um yeah I I can remember saying to my mum at the time because I get um migraines if I overwork my eyes and I'm you know working too hard and and awake for too long and things like that um and I can remember saying to her that you know you when you have things in your life like that that mean that you do get just exhausted or you know that you you're not going to be able to do something tomorrow and I think we've talked about this Lucy it's the kind of it's the is it worth it of Mm. it and you become okay with going actually I don't care if you think I'm boring or I don't care if you think I'm lazy I'm not I'm not doing it because it's better for me in the long run but it I I know it certainly took me a long time to get to that point because I was always like but everybody else is doing it you know I I should be able to do it and I think that um you know I mean I suspect the fact that my mum didn't really understand her her friend's approach shows that's why I took me a while to kind of uh accept that that's that's how I have to live and I I think um, I think as well like I dealt with those feelings of, oh, everybody thinks I'm boring. Everybody thinks when I was a teenager. So like people Mm. would, I mean, uh, people would say, oh, we're going to go and do this, that and the other. And I'd be like, I I want to, I just need to lie down. And even now there are still, I've still got friends who, I go to bed quite early, ridiculously early, but I'm not asleep. I'm watching telly, I'm doing things, I'm sorting stuff out for this podcast on my phone and we have a chat and stuff, don't we, Alice? And it's, mm-hmm. people think that I go to bed to sleep and I'm like, no, I go to bed because my body needs to go. That's better. <laughs> this is how we're supposed to have been all day, you know, just to relieve pain and tension. And I think pe- a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they, they, then they just don't understand how you cope in a body that doesn't work very well why would they you know why they, it, i completely yeah. understand it from their point of view i used to have a lot of friends like that um yeah that it's like i because i one of my conditions is genetic it's ellis mm-hmm. syndrome but it didn't really start being a particular big problem until i kind of hit my uni days um so the friends i had then just were not used to me having to tap out or stay home mm-hmm. so it was really tricky they just they would do things like 
organize birthday things for me that I just <laughs> couldn't attend because they didn't um they hadn't I guess caught up yet to my new limitations yeah. but yeah. it's nice now I have I sort of have curated friends um that now are a little bit less likely to be confused when I'm like I I cannot do this thing today yeah no, my my yeah. circle of friends have definitely got smaller and smaller over the years. I can count on one hand how many friends I've got, and I'm absolutely fine with that because every one of those friends understands that you know my body is a bit wonky, and occasionally the things are going to have to be cut short or I'm going to have to cancel, and it it's kind of freeing once you get to that stage in life. You go, okay, I don't have to worry about what other people think because these people understand me and it's that's kind of makes you relax a little bit and I do think that is a little bit just a kind of growing up thing where you start being like I need to be popular I need to have loads of friends I need to have like everybody like me and start to go actually these are the people that I don't have to try with yeah and you know that when the other people kind of drop off it's freeing it's really freeing to have people like I think the other day I was supposed to go, we wanted to do some kind of crafty evening. And I got to the day and I messaged my friend in the morning, like there's like a a, a 90% chance that if we continue with that plan, I will cancel. And I mm. was just so pleasantly sh- surprised. She was like, okay, well, why don't we just like do something smaller and just go and sit in a pub somewhere and chat. And she was one of mm. my older friends. So I, I guess I hadn't quite realized that she'd, she'd caught up to um that but it was so freeing because I actually got to socialize instead of having to just sort of cancel because yeah. I think as well a lot of people say they suffer with this like kind of cancellation guilt like oh, if I cancel they're gonna think I'm miserable or if I cancel they're just gonna think I'm really boring and I think when when so even when somebody says to me um I want to do this with you like on such and such an evening or it's at this time are you going to be all right with that I find that so comforting because it gives me it gives me opportunity to say actually maybe not without me feeling guilty about saying no I can't do that I'm sorry I'm really sorry it's really nice for people to go are you going to be all right with that because it makes me feel like they're aware of it do you know what I mean and they're not making a big deal out of it they're just asking me in the course of setting something up are you going to be all right? Which, you know, it's nice to feel cared about, isn't it, really? I, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that's, I suppose that's the the thing that, you know, courses and, and sort of approaches like yours, Georgia, can't, you can't teach as you can't make people have understanding friends and family. And that is something that does, I think, make a huge difference to how we deal with our, you know, our pains and our sort of access needs and things like that yeah Yeah, for sure and I think there's sort of a lot of internalized ableism that goes on um in terms do I need to explain that term or no I think (laughs) think Alice is fully up to speed with the term internalized ableism (laughs) we talk about an awful lot (laughs) yeah um but I think that comes into play a lot when you're sort of um I guess interacting with people about needing to cancel or having friends that understand because you I think if you haven't processed a lot of your internalized ableism you're telling yourself that you're the problem it's not just Mm -hmm. like hey this is a circumstance and you know everybody has them 
chronically ill, disabled or not, they have things that mean that sometimes they can't do things. But I guess internalized ableism tells you, hey, it's my fault. It's my body's fault. I'm I'm not doing enough or yeah. that kind of narrative that goes on. Um, I would really love to create a course around internalized ableism. Um, I feel like it would be so valuable. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, I am there. still on picking internal internalized ableism every single day of my life i'm picking it it was only when we we had a guest on to talk about ableism specifically and what it was gem um and it was only when she started to talk about internalized ableism internalized ableism that i understood what it was like i'd heard the term but i didn't really understand what it was and once she sort of explained it to me i was like oh that's what that's what that nagging voice in my head is every you know every time i can't do something and since then it's it's been a journey of it's not this isn't this isn't you lucy (laughs) this isn't you this is just you know things that your head makes you believe um and it's not it's not easy so i think i think having a course on internalized ableism is something that people yeah and i think just the more we can talk about internalized ableism you know we do there's a lot of twitter stuff out there about horrible ableist experiences Mm. you know where people were saying this is unacceptable and and things need to change but i do think that a lot of us accept poor treatment and inaccessibility and discrimination because we have such internalized ableism Mm. and i think the two feed into each other you know i think if there are people out there saying well we don't think you can do that so we're not going to make accommodations you go oh well, i i probably can't do that because i'm too disabled and it just i mean if if it's anything like my head you just spiral into well then i hate myself and i'm worthless and what's the point in anything yeah you have to be i you have to be so careful when talking about ableism and stuff like that because if you, if you give it an inch it will take a mile in your head and then yeah. you, like you say you start spiraling and then then like half an hour later you're like what is the point in anything i'm useless and then but you just I don't do want to go out the house keep, if we keep talking about it we keep talking about internalized ableism because i think so many disabled people also experience mental health problems because of that horrible spiteful you know blood-sucking vampire of a voice in your head that comes out of that internalized ableism yeah i mean i think for me internalized ableism was a big big chunk of why it took me so long to get a diagnosis um Mm. for my genetic condition because obviously it had been there my entire life um i Mm. just had been doing things like oh i'm in pain but everyone's in pain so i'm just lazy that's why my pain is not you know um manageable i'm just too lazy to push through or i don't have the the right motivation um Mm -hmm. and i think it was only when i like started to really address my mental health and i didn't realize that what i was doing was addressing internalized ableism um that was actually where i started doing mindfulness and why the first course is a mindfulness based one because i started with mindfulness meditation at like a really really dark period um for me Mm. in terms of like thinking i was just shit uh because i was really i was like almost entirely bed bound at the time but i didn't know why so i thought it was just depression or just maybe i just suck (laughs) 
And it was only when mm-hmm. I just like started to unpick that narrative in my head that I started being like, no, wait, but this isn't right. Like, this isn't, I should be able to get up, right? Like, it's not just a thought, like I might, I physically can't get up. So like, why? Um, yeah. So, like, even before you have a diagnosis, I feel like internalized ableism really slaps you in the face, especially when doctors ignore you, because then it just oh. reinforces that it's your fault and it's because you're useless. Um, yeah. And so, some of my worst experiences of ableism have been in a healthcare setting where you think actually this is going to be fine. Everybody's going to understand because, you know, it's a, we're in our hospital. Um, some of the worst cases of where, and, and I've come out and I've felt absolutely awful. And it's only when I've talked to other people about it, that I'm like, actually, yeah, that is pretty, that is pretty awful. <laughs> what has happened to you? Um, it's, yeah, it's just shocking sometimes the, the fact that it's in a healthcare setting and, and these people say things and act in a way that you think, what, what is the, what is the problem? Shouldn't you know better? You're an, you know, you're a healthcare professional. But, and I you know. think there's quite a lot of, um, not necessarily even that, that, I mean, some of the things you've experienced have been really, really poisonous and really, um, you know, especially ignorant. Um, But there, you know, what Georgia was saying just then, it made me think about the fact that when I was 17, I went to my GP and I said, I'm not sleeping. And he sort of talked to me about it. And I basically explained to him that ever since I was about 10 years old, I'd had insomnia. And I'd gotten to the point where I'd been from the age of about 14, I'd been taking uh, that nitol stuff mm. and I'd built up such a tolerance to it over the years that I had to take eight or nine at night to fall asleep. Eight or nine nitol? Um, yes. My God. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and the GP it's, it sort of immediately assumed it was a mental health issue yeah. and put me on uh antidepressants with a, a sedative effect and they did help um for a while and then of course i built up, a tolerance, up a tolerance yeah um and it was only through conversations with uh other health professionals that i found out that people with my eye condition um we i don't take in enough daylight so my brain does not know when, when to time. produce the sleep hormone so it yeah. produces it all over the place uh, and it doesn't ever really produce enough so i i now take melatonin in the evenings and i sleep and it's mm-hmm. incredible but it was a you know my gp just sort of assumed oh well it must be a mental health issue and threw drugs at the problem instead mm-hmm. of kind of researching it um and i look back on that and i think i had just told you that throughout my entire teenage life and preteen years, from the age of 10, I have had insomnia. That I went all the way through my entire education on about three hours sleep a night. And I mean, that alone is that, that alone, Alice, is incredible. Alan, and your you, know, solution you are is, superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is to go here, have some antidepressant medication and not sort of explore it for you know if somebody came to me and said at 10 i had insomnia and i thought that's because your mental health was so bad at 10 that you weren't sleeping yeah i'd want to be doing some more investigation 
and it, he he meant well. He thought he was solving the issue, um, but sort of on reflection, I just think you know actually, if you'd had if you'd unpicked it a bit more, you would have understood that this is more. This is this is. You know, I had pretty bad mental health by that point, but that's because I'd had like seven <laughs> or eight years. Slept for five years. <laughs> yeah. That's why. It's funny. I wonder how much the intersection of being sort of femme presenting and that kind of thing like plays into it because I had very similar experiences. Um, in my teens, I was like, I was dizzy the whole time. Um, mm. as part of one of my health conditions, I'm very dizzy all the time, and I and nowadays I I actually sort of flop I don't lose consciousness but my body just like gives up on standing up um mm. and I went to the doctor in my teens to say hey I'm dizzy like all the time and they were like oh have you tried eating more um <laughs> I was and at the time I was I probably had an eating disorder but I didn't realize it so I was I was a not willing to do that but even if the doctor thought I wasn't eating enough you'd think they would explore why uh, yes. Yeah, like what's <laughs> what's going on here? Why is why is she not getting the nutrients from what she is eating to make her yes. so dizzy yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, and then later on when I was actually like flopping, like I, you sort of call it like pre-syncope, like not quite passing out, but almost there. Yeah. Um I would end up in A and E and every time they were like, Oh, you've probably had a panic attack. And I would be like, hey, look, I, I've had panic attacks. I know what they feel like. Yeah. This wasn't one of them. Um, mm. But like not once did anybody actually listen to me. They'd just say, oh, yeah, but sometimes it's, it is a panic attack and you just don't notice. Um, and it's how, like, can you, how can you not notice a panic attack? I do think that if you're in a panic attack, sometimes those physiological symptoms can be so and emotional symptoms can be so overwhelming that you don't know what's going on suppose, but that's not your yeah. job it's the health professional's job to be able to tell you what's going on yeah. I'm sure I've told the story on this show before about when my mum went into hospital in the middle of the night with heart palpitations and the consultant came to see her in the morning after the palpitations had stopped and said you've got indigestion <laughs> And she was like, I'm a 65-year-old woman. I know what fucking indigestion is. This was not indigestion. Can I have some runnies, please? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's just an alien in an ambulance. She's like, oh, God, anybody got any Gaviscon? I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but the way you just phrased it is funny. I'm not laughing at your mum's palpitations. No, I know. This is the way you told it. It is kind of, it's so ridiculous that it is kind of hilarious. Like, it's just, I like, every time I hear a story like this, and they're so common, it's mm. so laughable. It's just like, how, how do they do that in their heads? How do they, like, think a 65-year-old woman has never experienced heartburn? Or, yeah, exactly. like, I just, I, it's, it's just unbelievable. Um, although it is believable, because it happens, but, like, yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. It's yeah, it's incomprehensible, isn't it? Incomprehensible, where you just go, "You're a surgeon." Like like somebody's gone. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong with this woman. Um, Let's go with indigestion. Yeah, try that for a bit. I mean, mean... there's this saying in medical schools that I feel like has done a fair amount of harm in some ways where it's the, the saying is something along the lines of um if you hear hoofbeats think horses not zebras 
Yes. And the idea of it is that, you know, like, don't assume it's going to be this rare condition, assume it's yeah. the most common answer. But what that yeah. does is for anyone with like a slightly weird presentation of symptoms, anybody who does have a rarer condition, anybody whose pain they just like maybe don't believe very much, they just like mm. pick the first most common thing without exploring anything else and then i think it's the it's the like dog with a bone element of it that you hear so much about is just where you go they they go oh it's indigestion you go no no i i i know what indigestion feels like they go no 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 no, it's indigestion and you're like no 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 (laughs) i know i know what indigestion feels like i like you know it i felt this indigestion feels like that and no 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 it's indigestion go home yeah, just like, but it, it just. But, <laughs> well, we're talking about these stories about you know GPs and doctors just assuming, but, but yeah, that's that's what that is. I went to the doctor recently because I've been having this, hor- and I mean horrendous pain in my side, so like just above my stomach, like in my intestines, and I don't know what it is. Like, haven't been able to solve it, and I went to the doctor when he was it's just like a regular checkup and he's like right is there anything else so i was like yeah i've got this pain in my like here and pointed to it showed it where it was and he was like yeah uh that's probably constipation because you can't stand up and i was like well, it's, but it's not i know it's not but yeah but it, i think i think that's what it is he gave me some move call now if you've ever used or eaten or Oof. taken move call it's like wallpaper paste and i was like the thought of it makes me want to vomit like i really don't want to take that stuff it's horrific and because i am also not constipated so i don't need it <laughs> um yeah just, just I, it's always good to have some in i was like but it's it's vile just thinking about it, it makes me want to go Ugh. um especially when there's very like i could understand if you had swallowing difficulties yes um but you can take pills exactly so exactly why 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 are are you giving me this wallpaper paste um anyway just put it in some yogurt and i was like well that's not happening because it's making you just making it worse like no no i said to my mom there's no way i'm taking that stuff weird i I, that's a really weird choice like you've got no history of swallowing difficulties why are they giving you wallpaper paste because you can bet your ass that's more expensive when he could just prescribe you you know, I don't, sorry. <laughs> I know I, you haven't finished your story, but I'm already like, what? Yeah. So then I went back to see another doctor last week about something completely different. And she said, is there anything else before we finish? Is there anything else? Like, and this pain, had like it comes and goes. And I was currently suffering with this pain. I was like, I've got this pain in my side and I don't know what it is. I said, I spoke to the other doctor and he told me I was constipated. I'm not constipated. I know I'm not constipated. And he gave again, me some, again, he gave me some like, medical. I think, I think you'd have noticed if you were constipated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not like and, an ephemeral <laughs> symptom. Like, you know, when you're constipated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, it's like, I don't know what this is. Um, um, and, she, and I went, you prescribed me some move and the doctor did to me. And she went, why? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and, she, and I said, and I hate it. Like, it makes me, she goes, it's horrible. So I was like, I know. She said, I said, and I said, and the other doctor told me to put it in some yogurt. And she went, what? Like, <laughs> she goes, I think he's got shares in the company because it's uh, like his go-to. Here's some move 
Here's some movie girl. Um, she gave me some busker pan. She said, I think she said, I don't think you've got IBS, but I think it's because you're scrunched up all the time, like sat down, that your mm-hmm. your intestine is going into a spasm and doesn't yeah. like it. She said the busker pan will help. I took one busker pan, pain went within 15 minutes. Unbelievable. I, I, I could sing about busker pan. Like <laughs> I get um constipated constipative ibs and it yeah. is you can literally you can take one and within 30 minutes I it's just incredible well again i, I just, just said to my I, mom i was like this, the pain has got i've been in this pain on and off for about four weeks and yeah. it's horrific and she was yeah. she, and she said take one of these so i took one and she said i said the pain's gone you know but when you yeah when you come out of a pain episode and you're like has it really gone or has my brain just gone? I th- yeah, I've just forgotten about that because I can't cope anymore. But yeah. It's- I, I only discovered Buscapine, but I've had IBSC for probably 15 years. And do you remember it was, God, was it last year? We had a meeting with a somebody from the press and I had to drop out literally minutes beforehand yeah. because I just couldn't, I was in absolute agony and I was on the, I was a, a mixture of either on the bed in the fetal position or literally like the only way that i could get comfortable was to be like in my bath like on my front yeah with my knees up under me yeah that's exactly what i've had it's hot it was horrible Horrible. and then and and it used to put me out for like 12 hours because i would just be in agony and i didn't want to eat anything i didn't want to move i couldn't do anything like i've got four hot water bottles because over the years i had to strategically place yeah, them in places too. and i've now discovered buscapan and i just <laughs> i'm just like this is a fucking miracle drug if like, buscapan would like to sponsor the podcast <laughs> <we'd be> nice. <laughs> they can pay us in buscapan i would be fine with that yeah like, absolutely oh, fine. both yeah. me and you will be absolutely painful yeah <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he was insistent to, on giving me wallpaper paste mover coal. Um, and I was like, that's not happening. <laughs> that is not. It's, we're fine. We're, no, it's all right. Thank you. I Horrific. think it's amazing that the second doctor actually listened to you, although it shouldn't be amazing. It should just be standard. Um, yeah. But that's what's so exhausting sometimes about having, like, being disabled or having health conditions. Like, the constant need to, like, advocate for yourself over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Yeah. Um, when doctors just seem hell-bent on <laughs> just <laughs> disbelieving you at every step of the way as a default. It's just so tiring. I think sometimes. it's interesting from the story that Lucy just told that the second doctor, from the sounds of what you said, was a woman. Yes, she was. The first doctor. Yes. Um, and don't do get me wrong, the first doctor, the first doctor that I saw is usually he listens to me and it's, uh, you know, it's we, we find a solution and it works. But he was just insistent on giving me. I think it 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 is what Georgia was saying, though, isn't it? It is that he's heard horses, so he's yeah. just gone. Well, it's that if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. Yeah. But you know, it's not on this. It's a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, but yeah, and it's like if you're not careful, you can convince. I never, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever google symptoms in the middle of the night because it's the worst thing you can do if you're like i've got this pain in my foot what is this and they're like oh your foot's going to drop off within 48 hours just don't very very specific foot cancer (laughs) yes cancer of the toenail (laughs) or something um it's and you just think to yourself don't do it don't do it my mom my mom 
we'll often Google things and she'll come and she'll say, I think you've got, you're allergic to gluten or something. And I'm like, I'm not, mom, I'm not allergic to gluten. It's fine. It's just a random pain. It's all right. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really. Especially... Sorry. Go on. Go, no, go on. Go on. I was just going to say, especially with symptoms like mine that come with like the, the sort of almost fainting because I get like my heart rate goes like, yeah. way too high, like above a hundred. And so like, if you try and type that into like the NHS website, it's like, you must get in an ambulance. Immediately. Yes. Go immediately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, I know what's going to happen if I go and it's not going to be useful. <laughs> um, so yes, Google is, I guess it's your friend. If you have a new unexplained possibly dangerous symptom but yeah it's It's like i would never call 111 for a disability related pain because it would just blow their mind they'd be like um uh, it sounds like you're dying you should probably call an ambulance yes it's like no it's just another wednesday karen (laughs) 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 yeah um it's uh bizarre but yeah i I think it's um I think it's what's really difficult as well, though, is that, um, and I'm I am going to unfortunately go a little bit um, socialist here, but I think it, part of the big issue is just that the issues with funding and resources for our healthcare system. Yeah. You know, if we had a better resourced and supported healthcare system, then doctors would have more time to spend with their patients to actually mm-hmm. to actually listen. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, and I think in some ways the NHS is, like, I feel like it's quite good at keeping you alive. Like, if you're dying, the NHS is reasonably, at least still, well, budget cuts have uh, messed this up quite significantly over the last 10 years. But if you're dying, I feel like it's quite well built to to sort that out. But when you have something chronic, that's like complicated. And, you know, there's lots of like ways that all of your conditions or maybe just one of your conditions, it just affects lots of different parts. I feel like it's just so poorly prepared Mm -hmm. to help people with like a day-to-day management of life with a body that is perhaps a little bit wonky. Um, It's funny, I was reading this book that was like a palliative care um, doctor and I don't remember her name. So I'm sorry that I cannot properly reference this book, but the palliative care system, palliative care being like when you're about to die, usually Mm -hmm. um, actually sounds perfect (laughs) for chronic health conditions. I was listening and they like genuinely, their their whole goal is to just like help you with your symptoms, help you manage. Um, And so it's like really well built out. And I was listening like, oh my God, this is what the entire NHS needs for like they actually just listen to the patient's symptoms and they're like okay so maybe we can't fix it but this is how we're gonna help yeah, you it's with in, your instead of going hey let's treat this so that you'll go away it's mm-hmm. let's spend time with you to make you comfortable yeah so it exists like yeah. they have departments that do it it's just they don't have the financing to roll that out to make a a life easier for the many many people <sighs> And I think I think that there is a lack of awareness amongst healthcare professionals, um, you know, uh, who just can't comprehend um, life as a disabled person. I was going to say and, exactly the same thing. Exactly you know, the same I, thing. It's I know um, from the work that I do, I do know that they're um, rolling out some really um, 
I think groundbreaking training um, following uh, around supporting people with learning disabilities to, um, so you know, be listened to uh, within the healthcare system. Um, but I think you know from interactions that I've had and interactions that Lucy's told me about, you know, and shared on the show that that from you know healthcare assistants right up to consultants there does need to be generally just a, a better under, sort of understanding of not just the medical side of disability, but just that like these are people with lives and value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if you respected people a bit more and, and thought that this patient, just because they're disabled, still they they feel they have a life worth living. Yeah. I think, as, I think as well in, in the healthcare, it was specifically within the cerebral palsy, community and to treatment of cerebral palsy there is a lot of talk around walking and being able to walk and maneuver yourself like a non-disabled person is the end goal and for me Mm. it's that isn't the end goal for me my end goal in life is to feel comfortable pain-free as much as humanly possible so that I feel able to you know a bit more refreshed when I wake up in the morning, a bit more energized when I am at work and able to do because when I am when I am tired and when I am painful and things are a struggle, that is when it affects me mentally and my ability to go, do you know what? Being disabled isn't all that bad because let me tell you, being disabled isn't all that bad. For me, I'm not bothered really about the fact I can't walk. We've got systems in place at home and, you know, in my day-to-day life that mean I can access most things independently and do things even if they're not completely independent. I can still do them. I can still, you know, go out, see people, go out to, to a job and do all that kind of thing. So for me, Walking isn't my end goal, but you talk to a healthcare professional and they're like, um, can you walk? <laughs> no. Uh, what, at, at all? No. And they, they seem like shocked that. That I, you don't want to. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Like, it's like, oh, oh. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would probably make life a little bit easier <laughs> sometimes, but um, I'd get. Yeah, but the, the, the reason get... it would make life easier is because the world is not accessible to wheelchairs, exactly. not exactly. because you'd be in less pain and you'd be happier and more independent. Yeah. I think for me, the end goal is to not be in pain, not feel so exhausted all the time. That's all I, all I really want, really. And on the, on the odd, I think I've said to you before, Alice, like uh, we've had a chat about something and I said, I've got absolutely no pain anywhere. <laughs> But don't say it too loudly because it'll come back with a vengeance. It's like, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back and I bought my friends. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Those pain-free days don't happen very often. But when they do, you're like, oh, this is nice. Can I have this all the time, please? That'd be lovely. That, is, that to me is my end goal. But yeah, the fact that people seem shocked that I don't want to, I'm, like, I'm not interested in being able to walk. Being able to stand up is one thing. I've got a standing frame at home so I can stretch my legs because the stretch is the stretch that helps not the not the physical act of being stood up i couldn't care less whether i'm stood up or sat down um Mm. it's the it's the physical stretch on my legs that helps me you know day to day but yeah you could be you could be stretched out by a handsome muscular man just pushing your legs backwards for you that would would, (laughs) 
be just as can effective, we start, can if we not more happening? effective, potentially. <laughs> could our sponsorship the NHS would pay for? <laughs> yeah, could our sponsorship with Buttercupan sort that out? Yes, that's what I was just thinking, Georgia, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, th I know that training for doctors, like it could help with that and certainly would, but I think also part of the problem is that the NHS is not built for disabled people to work there. They seem mm. to like have a separation in their head between like people who they deem to be sick or disabled and then staff and, and it not be particularly well connected. Like I, when I left university, I did like neuroscience and some chemistry and I desperately wanted to do like a graduate medicine course and go into medicine because I'd had such a terrible time with most doctors. And I really, really wanted to be like, hey, I can do this job and understand um but i was the more i looked into it the more it just was like this just isn't possible um because even though there are specialties like rheumatology or neurology where you're sitting down most of the time and you, you know it's not alien you don't have to run around um just to get through the training they don't yeah. have any version of the training where you don't have to do those high energy high mobility mm. um that you you have to as part of the training um so it just cuts out um so many people who could give so much to the nhs with lived experience but they just can't get there um which is just so silly because they i feel like they just constantly discount the knowledge of disabled people and people with chronic conditions as something that could contribute rather than something that you know a service user that they're going to provide for um it's just so silly no i was going to say i think that's why i'm so excited about this startup that I'm sort yeah. of trying to trying to make happen because like I think like that its entire premise is that everything should be built by people with lived experience of the actual Absolutely. thing that they're trying to solve um and I guess it's like my way of uh, I, I can't go into medicine so like what can I do to do like help people like as we were talking about like living a life that you actually want to live that you enjoy and it doesn't have to look like the whole medical model of you know you're standing and for me like I'm not even going for no pain like it's never gonna happen <laughs> like, no. there's no way yeah. my body to not be in pain but like you know like how do I make a life for myself that I enjoy while in pain and that's yeah. my question but a doctor yeah. will only ever be like oh do you want to try this new pain medication or this one and I'm like I've been that road they all suck for me they just they all the side effects are worse than the they, they only get rid of like a teeny amount of pain and the side effects are so bad like I was on mm. a lot of tricyclic antidepressants that they use for nerve pain when I first had my MS diagnosis and I was just foggy I'm always foggy but I was like 10 times as foggy all the time um I was like barely awake and it's like well that's not a life at least for me I know that, that some people manage on yeah like antidepressants and it works for them but for me it just was like not worth like the teeny tiny bit of pain that it managed to just slice off when I was put on pain when they were trying to find the right pain medication for me to sort of like help with my spasms and things um they tried different ones and I said the most important thing for me is that i um, compass mentis and I can understand what's going on so I don't take the tablet and then I'm like foggy for a week afterwards because I don't like I don't know what's going on I, you know I need to be I need to be aware and able to do things because I am physically not able to do a lot of things but I am able to sit and go yeah I can do that I can make that document for you or you know do 
whatever. So I need to be able to go. Okay, yeah, I understand. I can, I can physically, uh, not physically. Do you, you know what? You know what I'm trying to say, Alice. Um, yeah, you know, I be think... able to to be to be able to function really. Well, and I think you know it's about. Um... It's it's just generally about quality of life and what's important to you yeah, and exactly. your medical professional and your healthcare professional understanding when you say to them, actually, the thing that's really important to me here is I've recently been diagnosed with chronic back pain mm-hmm. and the physio keeps saying to me, I like, what pain medication are you on? And I'm like, I'm still taking over-the-counter pain meds because I don't want to go down the road of starting to take other pain meds because i i know with my history that i'll build up a tolerance and i'll have to go something stronger and i have yeah, to go yeah, something yeah. stronger and i already have terrible coordination i already get dizzy like i just it's it's not something that i want to have to factor in the side no. effects of pain medication is something i want to factor in when i know that it's a lot of hard work but the physio is enough to help me and i am hopeful and and the physios even said he's hopeful that if i stick at it that you know the the issue will resolve itself so i'm a bit like i don't want to throw pain medication at something no exactly you know why you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater that kind of thing Mm. you know just i think as well it's you know, every time I go to see the physio, he's like, and have you talked to your doctor about pain medication yet? So I, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> Leave me no, alone. I don't want to. I'm here for you to give me a slightly uncomfortable massage because it involves you rubbing my butt and then you're going to tell me to do these exercises and then I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back in six weeks. <laughs> I'm not here for you to tell me what medication I should be taking. I think a lot of my pain problems would be solved by going to a spa once every month to be honest and i'm waiting for the day that somebody goes oh we'll send you to a spa because i agree I, yeah i think that should be first point of call really before you do anything send me to a spa and then we'll see how i feel afterwards <laughs> like yeah i mean i certainly think that uh i like a really quite a, a firm massage and i can certainly say that sports massage has given me pain relief for days versus mm-hmm. like you know worrying about like medication that's going to wear off in four exactly. hours yeah exactly mm, like one of my partners has like gets back spasms and has when it happens it's, it's very painful and, and quite debilitating in terms of like being able to move um and essentially nothing the doctor did was as good as signing up to the local like it's like a spa experience because it's in like a leisure center with a swimming pool so it's not like a full kitted out spa it's a lot cheaper but they signed up to it monthly and when their back gets really bad bad they go to the sauna and they sit in there for a few hours and it does way more than any other pain med i mean of course muscle relaxants would help but they're very addictive and yeah yeah, worry yeah. about that route um so like genuinely if we could get prescribed spa days once a month like i certainly think a massage would help my joints massively but then it's like people think it's luxury so they're like oh we can't prescribe we can't do that but it's genuinely i mean it, i know we're talking is a about bit like yeah it's a bit like that social prescribing isn't it really you know like it's that kind of looking at it and going what really helps you <laughs> what really helps you we're going and having a massage and i you know people still think that therapy and counseling is 
you know, luxury is not the right word, but there yeah. is definitely still a huge stigma around it of, you know, well, you, you need that. You can't just get through it. You can't just get, you know, get over it, pull yourself together. Um, you know, you sort of, <laughs> you feel like uh, if we can't get past talking about your problems to a professional, um, then I'm gonna what go, chance I am going to go to the like GP and say, uh, and I've figured out what the problem is. Need to go to a spa regularly, please. <laughs> Can we have that prescribed? See what he says. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll try it. I'll see what he says. Um, okay, feedback to us. It can be yeah, our bonus yeah. content. <laughs> I'd like to know. Contact me. Tell me. Yeah, tell I'll, me I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let I'll you know. So, um, but yeah, I, like I, I, the, the mindful stuff. I know. It, oh, I know it sounds. Um, can you tell we've not done this podcast recording? I just hit my mic on the desk. I do apologize. <laughs> you had a clash bag while it's my microphone. Um, what was I saying? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Mindfulness does won't necessarily help my symptoms necessarily, but I know that meditating helps me relax in a way that my it sort of turns my brain off for a while to go just calm just calm down you're getting all anxious i've been through a very we as a family we've been through a very stressful period just recently for the last sort of six seven months and i had got to the point where the knot of worry in my stomach was getting so bad that i couldn't like i can't sleep couldn't eat properly that kind of thing and i i i meditated on and off um before this but over the period of time where things were very stressful and quite worrying i meditated nearly every night and my um meditation app kept saying well done you've got a streak of so many days i was like yes i know tell me about it tell me about it but it does i don't know what it is it's just like stopping and breathing and being able to just like turn your brain off for a while just to either help you go to sleep and relax or I find really beneficial. So I like to go and sit outside in the sunshine. The heat helps my achy joints. And I sound like an 82 year old woman, don't I? I like to go and sit quietly in the garden in the sunshine. Uh, but it does really just help. And it, like the my, I like, when somebody told me about mindfulness, I was like, that's not going to work. My brain's going to go, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still thinking about stuff, but it does. I managed to master it. And I found it a really helpful tool that doesn't necessarily work all the time, but a lot of the time it can just help me sort of just sit quietly for a bit. And I think that's sometimes what I need to do, sit quietly for a bit, which is very difficult when I talk so much. Yeah, I think some of, sometimes people get quite turned off by mindfulness meditation. I think in part because the NHS has started over prescribing it in the same way that like they used to tell me I was having panic attacks like people yeah. will come in with pain and instead of like addressing the thing that the person actually wants they're like have you tried mindfulness um which is really sad because <laughs> mindfulness is a really great tool like mm. as like a, within like a selection of tools in your life that you use for your own well-being um yeah. obviously it's not going to be the only thing that you need but it's yeah it's there as like part of the I don't want to say holistic because it sounds so wishy-washy. Yeah, I I it's, like it's like a suite of things that you use to deal with what you've got yeah. going on. I, had, I did try icy cold showers because mm. I'd been watching a program about how like ice 
ice water and ice therapy can help with things. But I tried it once. My legs went into spasm in the shower and I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out of the shower because my legs had just gone into spasm. We're like, what are you doing? I like warm water. So I didn't, I've not done it since. Like, I can't not do that again. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's meditation and things like that, mindfulness is, I mean, it's, I find it quite difficult to master, but once I've done it, I was like, yeah, this is this is good stuff. This is. I think this that's the thing. My feelings about mindfulness is, is it can take a while to kind of uh, really incorporate it yeah. into mm-hmm. your daily life. But yeah. for me, not so much the meditation, but kind of a general, more mindful approach to myself and being mm-hmm. a bit more aware of my body and how I'm doing. Uh, yes. sort of physically and and emotionally um the biggest thing for me that uh, i i found it made me aware again going back to what we were saying at the beginning of that internalized ableism voice was mm-hmm. i started hearing what i was saying to myself and changing the way i spoke to myself and saying it's not your like don't don't be sitting there going oh i'm so clumsy and you know, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I walked into that. Instead, perhaps take the moment to go, are you all right? You just walked into something. Like, mm-hmm. are you in pain? Do you need to seek medical attention? Like, let's be, let's, let's accept the thing that has happened rather than hating yourself for the thing that has happened because then you don't help yourself physically or emotionally. No. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I found when I started meditating as well. Like, it was... This wasn't necessarily like health related. I mentioned earlier that like in my teens, I probably had an undiagnosed eating disorder and a lot of like fat phobia and issues around that. And I'd started meditating and I went on this like holiday with some friends to Milan. Um, And we were like getting ready to go out on this like night out, which I usually don't like, but we were on holiday. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. Um, (laughs) And I, for the first time I noticed the just the horrific narrative going on in my head about how horrible I looked and how fat I was and how I was just like reinforcing it over and over and over and like making it worse like adding to the story and to the point where usually I would probably part of the reason I don't like going out I would Mm. like be ready to go and just feeling like the like a a pile of shit wearing clothes you know um and it was really the first time I noticed how much I was feeding into that myself like how much I was reinforcing it and I love that about mindfulness like it's so simple but it it can really just like give you the skills to just stop for a second and be like Jesus like what am I saying to myself about myself right now? That's exactly that's exactly the reaction that I had was just that when I when I realized how I was talking to myself I was shocked I was like I I can I if somebody dared speak to anybody I like a stranger in the street if I heard someone talking to a random stranger like that I would be horrified and I would be saying how Mm -hmm. dare you yeah like it, it was it is it, it, and it is revolutionary actually for me to 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 because as soon as I you know it wasn't it it didn't change overnight but once I started hearing it I couldn't unhear it mm. and it from there it was a reasonable step to being able to interrupt it and go no you're not a piece of shit actually this let's look at the circumstances around this let's 
deal mm. with where this might be coming from and it had such a huge impact on my mental health like a positive impact on my mental health uh, and i think i think generally as a disabled person i think the most important thing that you can do for yourself and i'm saying this i'm saying this now i'm going to be completely honest this week i have had a terrible week of intrusive thoughts not feeling very nice about myself at all and i know that it's been a blip um ooh, i wasn't expecting to talk about this today um um but i think one of the most important things you can do to yourself as a disabled person is be kind to yourself because not many other people in society are kind to disabled people that you know that the ableism they'll say things to you without second thought they're thinking they're not being offensive but actually they are being quite offensive and so sometimes i think the most important thing you can do to, to for yourself and to yourself as a disabled person is is, is practicing that that element of being kind about you and stopping those you know you're not a piece of shit you're not this you're not that you're not the other is important i think when you can start being kind to yourself it changes your tolerance for other people's yeah. unkindness towards you mm -hmm. and so that then helps you to in those situations with ignorant healthcare professionals or just healthcare professionals who are too busy or too uh you know focused on uh their shares in the uh laxative company to <laughs> to listen it helps you to start advocating for yourself because your tolerance for putting up with other people's comments and ignorance changes yeah. if you can and learn very... to stop saying if you can learn to stop saying the horrible things about you to yourself then you can learn to... you'll stop accepting it from other people exactly. you'll learn to start challenging it if you can challenge it within yourself that's that's much harder i think than challenging it from other people yeah yeah for sure like the way i like sometimes when i'm in really horrible pain and sometimes it's really hard to be kind to my body when it's you know like specifically with like nerve pain it's just so intense um and there's no getting away from it you can't change position you can't do anything because yeah. it's the it's the nerves that's themselves. what that's what my back pain is damage to my sciatic nerve yeah so like sometimes in those moments it's really hard to be kind and i try to like remember this kind of sentence it's almost like a mantra that's like what's better being pain and being like saying horrible things to myself or being in pain and hearing kind things to myself because yeah, definitely yeah. hearing kind things is gonna it's not gonna make the pain go, but it's certainly gonna make the situation like a little bit less shitty. Yeah. You're not having an internalized argument with yourself. Oh yeah. You? you know, uh, which is exhausting. Um, and like I say, uh, you people who know me might be listening to this episode and saying, Lucy, you're such a hypocrite. But I, <laughs> cause I've had a terrible week of it uh, um, where it's been awful. Um, but you know next week's a new week and it start again <laughs> start again you know not everybody's perfect and it's not always going to be easy and i think the hardest thing that i found about trying to practice mindfulness is that practice actually practicing it consistently when you're yeah. in those lowest darkest most pain-ridden moments of going actually i'm i'm going to be mindful i'm going to be kind i'm going to interrupt those thoughts now it is 
that's a real challenge sometimes um but mm. if you can you know it is one of those those things the more you practice it the easier it becomes mm. i've been on at lucy to try and get back into meditation for absolutely ages um and i think you know if you can make it habitual if it becomes something that you just always do mm. it will help generally uh, it's, yeah. you know for sure Make I just think I need so I think I need Georgia and Alice in my pocket at all times going, Have you meditated today? Have you meditated today? <laughs> like, are you all right? Do you need to just But then calm down? I was gonna say that that it can be really difficult, you know, if you don't do it to then like be going, Oh god, I can't believe I did I didn't even manage to meditate today. Yeah, and, there is and that, that isn't there. It doesn't help. It's no. it's so hard to break past all of that and i think you know the fact that there are people with lived experience like georgia out there actually trying to to teach that and help people learn that i think that that could be really useful yeah i hope so yeah yeah i mean i, I think this is the moment to say if you do go on the website and try the course well i should have said before it's called well adapt um and like you have feedback like let's say it didn't help you or like it you i don't know you had too much self-talk going on about the meditation itself um i always like to hear those things because it just helps me make a better thing for other people because like that's the whole point i just want people to have access to these skills um to be kinder to themselves in those those kinds of moments um but like nobody does it perfectly you mentioning that people might call you a hypocrite but like I don't like I've been meditating for many years now and you know I've made this my life to make these things for other people but that certainly doesn't mean that I don't have days where I'm being too hard on myself or too cruel and I you know I haven't caught it in time and I've gone in a bit of a spiral like it doesn't go away it just makes it easier to identify and you know what i often i often think as well like uh, there are days where i try and meditate and it's just not happening do you know what i mean it's just the mindfulness is just not coming i can't do it so i give up because i just those are the days where you go and have a gin yeah (laughs) yeah gin and a bag of (laughs) chips but um yeah there are days where you uh, and i can remember you know when like it teaches you how to meditate you know you download like headspace or whatever it is or and they'll they'll do guided meditation so they're teaching you how to do it and I can remember the bloke on the Headspace app because I, I used to use Headspace, and then um, I moved to another one. Um, and he said, "If you can't, if it, if it's just not coming, don't don't stress yourself out about it. The the important thing is you tried, you you, mm-hmm. you tried to sit there with it, because at least if you're trying, all hope's not lost. It's well, I'd rather you try and not be able to do it than not try at all and just be living with that feeling of." horribleness so i always feel better well even if i've tried and it failed i feel better that i've tried rather than sort of gone i'm not i'm not doing i'm not doing it today i'm not feeling it um it, yeah. it helps the habit especially yeah. like if you just get started it's a bit like that you know like if you can't wash the dishes wash a spoon um or like me like for for my joints like i absolutely like i do like this joint warm-up every day to try to solve because otherwise they just okay they go wonky um but like some days i'm just not capable of it but i still go to the spot where i do it and i might do like the first motion and then stop because it just keeps the habit and it's like i did what i could um and that's fine yeah i think it's so important to try and 
build a habit. I think this has been um, a really interesting kind of conversation talking about this, trying to sort of chat how challenging yourself to be more accepting of yourself. I I think, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. George, it's been lovely to speak to you uh, today. Um, and it's certainly given us a lot of food for thought. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. So thank you for so much for joining us. Georgia, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you online so that people can follow you and find your courses? Of course. Um, so the actual website is well-adapt.com or you can find it on Insta, well.adapt. The adapt bleh, sorry my mouth doesn't want to do words apparently um or if you want to follow my more like artsy side it's at it is my body which tells you a lot about it it's like a very uh, sex positive space so just if that kind of thing freaks you out avoid it <laughs> but, but well adapt is fully pc um if that's more your jam I love it. I love how uh, diverse everything is that you're doing. We might have to get you back on to talk about the other side of all of the stuff you're doing sometime, Georgia. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm sorry if we were a bit rusty. As I say, we've we've had sorry for time banging off. my microphone across the table. <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll be back. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labelled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. <laughs>